Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison, as always. So England off to a shocking start in defence of the Cricket World Cup, losing by nine wickets to New Zealand. We'll hear from Captain Josh Butler and discuss the latest with Ben Stokes' fitness. We'll look back at some of the key games of round one as India recover from two for three to beat Australia and South Africa post the highest ever total in a World Cup. We'll hear from their former captain, Graham Smith. We'll also take a look at some of the other stories in English cricket and we'll be joined by Nottinghamshire all-rounder Steve Mullaney after he decided to step down as captain after six years in charge. So as always, plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Army, I'm not sure many people saw that coming. and That was an absolute shellacking. England lacked punch with bat and certainly with ball, uh, they looked lacklustre. Owen Morgan had some strong words afterwards. It was a real shock, and um, it must have been a fairly rude wake-up call. Yeah, it was. It was a it was a big wake-up call. If um, if truth was to be known, when it, you look at the sort of the, the two sides matched up, the way the the sort of preparation, the build-up has gone. Yeah, England's bowlers, I think, looked as though they were short of a gallop when it come to. Uh, the preparation going into the series, uh, into the World Cup, but I don't think uh, anybody can have any complaints in that England England squad management team. They're just just outplayed in every single facet of the game. They've done this quite regularly when they've when they've lost, even under Owen Morgan. When they lost, they lost heavily, and then they always seem to bounce back. So I've got no no issue. I think they will bounce back. The, the sort of strength of the group, the experience they've got. You know the talent in the in the dressing room. I'm sure they will bounce back, no problem whatsoever. But they're going to have to do it very, very quickly. And you know they go to sort of domicile where the, the outfield doesn't look the greatest. I mean, question marks. Stokes probably won't play. There will be question marks over if the ground is so not dangerous, but if it's if it's unfit, you bring in some question marks of of the bowlers who have got injury track records, but. I think that England will need to, for me, they should be looking to play the same side because that was the best side that they've played in the, for the first game. They just didn't turn up and didn't perform. So I think all in all, the New Zealand game quickly has to be put to bed because they just didn't turn up. You know, They didn't get enough runs to start with. That puts pressure on the bowlers. When you're a bowler, when you, you haven't got runs on the board, all of a sudden, if you don't get early wickets, then you're playing catch-up. You're chasing your tail and... You know, you quickly can be, uh, the game can get away from you. The tide had just kept gushing, gushing through. And, you know, give fair play to New Zealand. You know, Conway and Ravinda played unbelievably well and England didn't really have an answer. When England have uh, slipped up in the past, um, when they've lost heavily, it you know, it's been three or four poor shots, a couple of edges, a good catch. They've been bowled out for 150. But for 36 overs to look so insipid with the ball was well, I had a feeling that it was more than just a blip, but um, that's not what Just Butler thought. We're not robots. Um, you know, sometimes you, you don't play as well as you would like. Everyone's working hard, everyone's prepared well. And as I said, we're just a bit off. Um, in international cricket, when you're a little bit short, 
uh, and the opposition played very well, um, you, you're going to lose the game of cricket. So look, there's plenty of stuff for us to work on and get better at the start of a long tournament. Um, as I said, it's one loss. Uh, it's a tough one, but you know, we'll be better for the next one. That was Joss Butler insisting that it was uh, just a, a bad day at the office. Owen Morgan um, on commentary said that England would have to have some hard and honest conversations, which is not something that they've uh, shied away from in the past. Ben Stokes missed the game, of course, Harmy, um, with a, a niggle in the hip area. He was he was hobbling around nets. I mean, it looked very uncomfortable. It's a real concern, isn't it? It's a massive concern. It's it's huge when you look at this unit and that Ben coming out of retirement and everything that the sort of the noise beforehand is so important for this cricket team. Not just batting, you know, he's not going to bowl, but in the, in the field, but the character of Ben to sort of grab people by the scruff of the neck and take them with them and, you know, really sort of lead by example, even though he's not captain of the ODI side. It's a big blow not having Ben on the field um, for the character more than, more than anything else, especially on um, in the situation we're in the other, the other day. You look at this England side and in 2019, they were at their peak. Yeah, every you know the majority of the side that that won in 2019, they were at such an age where the peak of their powers, you know, they were, they'd reached the summit of their their ability. Um, they were at the right age, all came into good bang. That's what made them them great. These are still our best players. I think they're past their peak. I think a lot of them are past their peak. I think, and I'm not being it's not a, a criticism towards them. I still think they are. This group can can win the World Cup. But when you when you you go to India when the conditions are so tough, the heat and everything that goes with it, you're slightly off. And then all of a sudden, I think you know from an age point of view, from a, a body point of view, if you are sort of wheeling over the other side, then that can have a sort of added negative effect. So, and as well as one or two others, obviously this is going to be their last chance, their last World Cup. Um, and I think that possibly showed the other night against against New Zealand and that concerned me slightly that they couldn't wrestle back any sort of initiative throughout that what 90 overs of of that cricket match so that'll be something that we need to see better in the uh, in the games to come because if that is something that is becoming evident where they can't wrestle the initiative back in a, in a game of cricket then I think um, I think England will be out of this competition really before it gets going so they need Stokes to come back more for that, just to give them a boost in the field and grab the game when things aren't going well, just to bring it back in their favour because the skill level is still there. It just looked as though yeah, they were they were well short the other night, and that's a, a slight concern. The net run rate is now minus two. They face Bangladesh and Afghanistan in the next two games. I don't think they should be too concerned about net run rate. Um, or you know, don't don't try to fix it. If the opportunity presents itself to to score quickly and to improve net run rate, then certainly take it. But um, yeah, you don't want to be thinking about it up front. Bangladesh and Afghanistan are absolutely must win games. So New Zealand punching above their weight is a decade old story. That, that's irrelevant now. It's complete nonsense. They've got more quality cricketers than they've ever had before. Uh, they've got some truly top international superstars. They are not punching above their weight. I had them down as a uh, as a semi-finalist before the tournament started. They are a very, very good team. But what was interesting was a little throwback to the 90s, Harmy, where they decided to to pick four bowlers and then fiddle 10 overs from, from bits and pieces here and there. That's interesting because, you know, most teams these days do pick front, five front-line bowlers. Yeah, well, India play five frontline bowlers and no, none other than five frontline bowlers and say, you lot that, we'll, we'll bowl. And I think when you look at the New Zealand side, I just wonder if playing Chapman over Saudi was that the fact that they had no Kane. I, I just wonder if, because they had no Kane Williamson, Ratchet and Ravinder at number three, they've decided, right, we possibly need just that little security comfort blanket down the bottom order. Just in case, all of a sudden, we're sort of twenty for two when the ball's moving around in the uh, in the power play, because of you know no experience of, of of Saudi as well, which obviously doesn't help. So I think with Williamson and Saudi uh, with Williamson and Saudi out, maybe they've just gone uh, possibly gone a bit negative and gone right. We're gonna we're trying to fiddle ten overs and have a frontline batter to come in at number number seven. So possibly that was in the thought process, but. 
I don't even think in Ratchet and Revenders, Wireless Dreams, he could have he could have dreamt playing the way he did along with Devin Conway. I think for me, Devin Conway is probably he's probably the best batter in the world at this minute in time after the pandemic. I don't think there's anybody batting as as good as Devin Conway between that in that period and now, because you look at it uh, brilliantly at home, double hundred in England. He sort of got to the final and won the um the IPL with 600 and odd runs in the in the uh, for Chennai Super Kings. Conway is as batting as well as anybody in the world at this moment in time. Um, and he showed that the other night. And the partnership was some of the shots Ravinder played. Um, and the partnership with Conway was was unbelievable. So no, I had them in my semi-finals. I think they'll qualify now for the semi-finals, even more so with that net run rate. And you know, they look at a top, top side without Kane Williamson. So can you imagine when Kane comes back and what a side there will be going, you know, I think they've, they've, they've got a great chance of going all the way again. Okay, this is a, an old story, but for those of you who haven't heard it, Ratchin is not actually a recognised Indian name. Um, and the story goes that, um, that Ravindra's parents are massive cricket fans. Of course, they were born in India, as he was. Um, and Ratchin was uh, a made-up name, a combination of Rahul and Sachin named after Rahul Dravid and Sachin Tendulkar. So Rachin Ravindra, and this is what he had to say after his brilliant 100. 100 is always special, but I guess in, in terms of being able to perform in India is, is pretty cool. I think, like, like you said, it's it's cool to have the sort of the Indian roots. And uh, it was nice to have my parents there watching, and they sort of flew over, sorry, from New Zealand. So it was, it was cool to have that moment. And obviously it's always nice coming to India, um, sort of a sense of sort of family connection whenever I'm in Bangalore and being able to see my grandparents and stuff. So... Yeah, so it's pretty cool. New Zealand winning like that without Kane Williamson and Tim Southey, both of whom are on the verge of fitness. Interesting that, you know, New Zealand recognised that it's a long tournament. It's 45 days and you can go into it um, with a couple of injured players in the knowledge that they will get fit. And I suspect that uh, Williamson will play a really big role as the tournament carries on. Absolutely. He's one of the best players in in the, the modern generation, part of that Fab Four, as, as we all talk about, averages 55 in one-day cricket. He's somebody, I think, when he comes back, especially in Indian conditions, because he plays so well over in India, how do they fit him in? Well, obviously, unfortunately for Will Young, who nicked one down leg side off, off Sam Curran, first ball, and lucky, he might find himself unlucky and out of the team because Ravinder can't be dropped. Um, and to have Kane back after just beating convincingly the world, the world champions, that's a nice problem to have. So I think I've said many times before, you know, New Zealand for me will be in the mix at the back end of the tournament. And with Kane coming back, he just holds them all together. And if Ravinder can you know, keep his form going the way he has, along with the likes of um, of Conway, and Ravinder's bowling comes into it as well, then all of a sudden you take Chapman and, you know, you take Chapman out of that team, you take Young out of that team and you put in, Game Williamson and Tim Southey, and it just goes up a little, another notch, another level. So, yes, they're going to be a force, and it'll be great to see Kane Williamson back because major tournaments need superstars, and he's definitely one of the superstars of the game who hasn't played for quite a while. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Uh, so, Australia bowled out for 199, India then reduced to two for three on an entirely expected indifferent pitch. Um, it wasn't indifferent for India's spinners, um, of whom they had three. It, I just find it hilarious, Harmi. You know, it, it, India run the global game. The BCCI run the global game. It's their World Cup. They obviously are going to plan the fixture list to suit them. So they kick off with Australia in Chennai the most spin-conducive pitch in the country, and it's just a tad un, uh, underprepared. Uh, and, of course, Australia stumble and falter against spin. And, uh, yeah, India had a, a shock and a scare with uh, those two new kookaburras with Mitchell Stark and Josh Hazelwood taking three early wickets. But it just couldn't have gone better, more to plan for, for India. And, and Australia, Aaron Finch actually interestingly said afterwards that Australia need to change their mindset against spin, but they've been struggling against it for years. 
Yeah, that's part of the, the the issue I felt that I when it came to predicting who would be in the top four, you look at the Australian side against the other the other nine teams, and I'm going, yeah, no problem, they've got a great chance. Then you look at the fixture list of where they're playing: two games in Chennai, two games in Lucknow, both turn absolute square, and you go, no chance. These lot have got no chance. So. No, that's that's nothing against you know Baxter and the Aussies. It's just their ability to play spin, and they haven't got a frontline spinner. Adam Zampa bowled poorly; he really did. For me, I know it, it sounds ridiculous and a bit left field, but if I was Australia, I'd be going getting Nathan Lyon. India brought R Ashwin in; he's a quality one-day performer. Lyon doesn't play one-day cricket, but if you've got if you're going to play in Chennai and you're going to play in Lucknow, where it's going to turn. Your best spinner is Nathan Lyon. You find a place for him in your team because Adam Zampa looked as though he didn't know how to bowl last night. Yeah, he really didn't. You know, the ball was down. Give that. Yeah, he floated it or he dragged it down against you know quality players of spin, and that for me is is where Australia will come miles short because it, it looked at 110 for for two two quality players at the crease in Marnus and in, in Steve Smith and thinking. Yeah, they can play comfortably against spin. These are top, top players. They're used to these conditions. But you were thinking, you're just sitting there going, uh, one can bring two and two could bring six. And it was they, they could literally fall like a deck of cards. And that obviously was evident. I thought the way the game went, it fell perfectly for Australia. They win the toss, the bat first, on, yes, a, a spinning surface, but their strength was seam. And you knew when the lights were going to take effect in the second half. Two brand new Kookaburras. Here's a Woodstock Cummins. This is the strength of the Australian team. It's fallen nicely for them. And it it, it did. Uh, and, but if they had another, if they're getting 280, then all of a sudden it's a different cricket match altogether. It's four for three or two for three, whatever it was. So I, I just it just looks as though Australia, for me, are going to be short in that spin department, both playing it and bowling it because of where they play in the tournament. But, you know, India, Kohli was magnificent. From the very first decision that he made, which was to leave a ball off Josh Hazelwood, he was in total control. It's like watching Ricky Ponting when Ricky, when he bowled at Ponting and he had that leave where the studs came down a pitch, the bat raised above his, you know, above his head. He left the ball perfectly. And that, for me, was a good sign going, this lad might... This mad light might be coming in with not only point to prove, but pressure on. It's Virat Kohli's tournament. He's in his home. It's in his back garden. It's his last World Cup. He might be a, you know, a real force in this tournament. And I think he went from 23 to 31 in two boundaries through mid-wicket, consecutive fours off, off Cameron Green. And I sat there and I'm watching. I'm going, that's as good a shot you'll see in the tournament. And then literally 25 seconds later, he played a better one, went for four. And it was like, yeah, this guy is this guy is the real deal. Obviously, he is because he's one of the best players in the world. But you know, for me, I think Australia are really going to struggle in this tournament, especially where their fixtures are played. Just remember, the Aussies uh, were fixated afterwards on the fact that Virat Kohli was dropped, top edging a hook um, off Hazelwood to Mitchell Marsh at deep backward square leg. If that had been caught, they would have been India would have been twenty for four. Um, and so the Australian media sort of implying that that's where the game was decided. If they want to kid themselves <laughs> that that was where the game was decided, then um, they can carry on doing that. Nathan Lyon, by the way, has said that if he got the call, he'd be very happy to travel to India and take up his place in the squad. And maybe um, that is something. <laughs> have his bags packed now. I really would. I'd have his bags packed now. It, it wouldn't you know, be similar if we put Jack Leach in the, the sort of same bracket as, as Nathan Lyon. But if you've got a front line, if you need a front line spinner and you know, you've got a guy who's taken over you know, 400 test wickets and you're playing, you guarantee he's going to bowl 10 overs on a turning pitch. You're better off. You know, Nathan Lyon's probably one of your first names in your team sheet. And forget that he hasn't played ODI cricket or he doesn't bat. You need 10 guaranteed spin overs. And I'm sorry, I didn't get that from... From Adam Zampa yesterday, he's he looked as though he 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 really didn't know where which which way to let go of the ball. The ball was damp, fair enough, but to be your frontline spinner, Adam Zampa, in a twenty twenty game, no problem. But when you've got a bowl ten, I think you probably need a bit more 
I think you need a better bowler and a bit more experience. And that, for me, would be near to nine. Okay, and just final word on Ravindra Jadeja. I've said for the last three years he'd be my first pick in mm. uh, in a in a world eleven, and his three for twenty eight off ten overs. He he just keeps delivering with bat and ball and in the field. He's an absolute gun fielder. So, well done, India. Uh, actually, uh, Josh Hazelwood was asked a question about Australia only having one specialist spinner, and this was his answer. Yeah, quick through our strength, probably up front as we saw tonight, and then. Glenn Maxwell's a frontline spinner, in particular in India. He's bowled a lot here um, throughout IPL, throughout one day. As, so, yeah, I consider him a frontline spinner. So we've got two spinners and three quicks, as you know a lot of the other teams do. So, no, I don't feel that we're short at all. That's Josh Hazelwood um, talking up the off-spin of Glenn Maxwell, which is probably underrated, um, but I, I don't know uh, whether... <laughs> of course he's going to say that he's good enough to be a frontline spinner, but if you're going into a one-day international in the World Cup with with Glenn Maxwell inked in to bowl 10 overs, I think you've got a problem. 100%. Because it's like coming to England and not having a frontline seamer in April and May. Talk about you know, all-rounders that of these teams, all-rounder this and all-rounder that. You need you need frontline quality. And frontline quality for me is spin. You know, Adil Rashid is England's frontline spinner. With a bit of piece, bits and pieces of the experience of Moen and, and and Joe and and, and Liam Livingston, you know, the frontline spinner for me in India is massive. And we've seen 110 for two. Now like I mentioned before, I wasn't joking. You, you, you're sitting there going, you've got Jadeja, you've got Ashwin, you've got Kuldeep. If Steve Smith and Marlon Slavishin get out here, it could just drop. And that for me is what why you've got your frontline bowlers. So can they get Nathan Lyon into the group? I don't think they can because somebody would, first of all, have to get injured. And then by the time you get them over and you get them up to speed, they've played two or three games. could play two or three games, especially their next two, I think, are in luck now. They play the next two or three games and all of a sudden they lose one or two of them. They're out. You can't lose three games in this tournament. And for me, not qualify. I think it's a six wins, three losses, or seven wins, two losses. I think will get you into this, this, this sort of semi-final. So I, that, by the time you get somebody over... It's so important that you've got a frontline spinner that you can rely and hang your hat on to bowl 10 overs. I don't see that in Zampor or in Maxwell. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about the future of ODI cricket briefly in the next section. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. Uh, As I said, next up, we'll uh, look back at a huge win for South Africa and hear from their legendary former captain, Graham Smith. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed. Uh, Now available, as always, via the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts. 
quite a day out for South Africa. Gee, um, only four times has 400 been breached at the World Cup, and South Africa have done it three times. Um, the third time in their opening game against Sri Lanka with hundreds for Quinton de Kock, Rassi von Adussen and Aidan Markram. Uh, that massive total of 428 for five. They do say that you can't take any total for granted these days, but I think that one was taken for granted. And um, South Africa bowled at times like a team with 428 <laughs> runs on the board. And and Sri Lanka, to their credit, made 326 in reply to only lose by 102 runs, which ordinarily would be an absolute thrashing. But um, pretty comprehensive start with the bat, Harmi. South Africa have got this blueprint, haven't they? they play their six specialist batsmen. Nobody else can really bat. <laughs> the, the top six have got to get the job done. And didn't they do it in style? They did. And the basically saying use luck, take responsibility and, and put a score on the board and boy did they and they've got the model like like what India have. They've got specialist batters, specialist bowlers, and like you said, you know, Marco Janssen just, you know, is the only one really in that in that group that marries it all up together. So again, a bit like Australia, I just think they might come up short to New Zealand in the unless England have a shocker to get into that top four. Uh, largely down to the fact of that they've got specialist batters and specialist bowlers. If they if they sort of lose two or three quick wickets, then all of a sudden, four hundred. You might as well have two goals at it, and you'll not get four hundred. So uh, it was great to see because I think in this we, you worry in this tournament that the sort of top four or five are going to run away with it, and then there will be them sort of bottom four nations. And I still think that might happen. But it, what we needed to see was Australia get after a good start, South Africa get after a good start, then all of a sudden there'll be four teams from six. And I thought the way, you know, especially the way Adrian Markham played, I, I, I thought Markham played fantastically well. And he gave that impetus that I think what South Africa will need if they want to be a force in this tournament, which is because they, they tried to get off to not a slow start, but they're not as crash bang wallop in the power player that, um, unless obviously Quentin comes off, they're, they're not as um, as powerful in that sort of first ten overs as what other teams might be. But boy, in the last ten overs, they're as good as anybody in world cricket. And Markram and Miller, the way the uh, in class and the way they go, um, it was good to see, and it was great to see four hundred on the board because it can be done. Not many people thought four hundred could be done in India, but. South Africa did it as a canter, and over in South Africa, what is the? As we, you know, when we spoke to, so we spoke to the legendary captain Graham Smith. You know, I don't think he said it on air, but I think he said it off air that the World Cup really hasn't taken too much uh, airtime in South Africa just yet. Has it now? Because they're just getting four hundred in their first game. Yeah, it is getting uh, traction now, Harmy, um, for sure. But uh, South Africa is. Uh, was and always will be uh, a rugby country before it's a cricket country. And while the Springboks are still in the Rugby World Cup, then cricket is always going to come second. But um, the the third centurion uh, was Aidan Markram, um, and he was speaking afterwards about uh, about what a comprehensive victory it was and whether it made a statement. The way batters are, are playing nowadays, you wouldn't be surprised if that record is broken in this comp as well. So... It's nice for us to be able to go through the gears as a unit. I think a lot of credit has to go to Rassi and Quinny for setting up that platform. It's hard work always up front. They bowled well the back end of the power play and their spin actually started bowling really well just outside of the power play um, or, or whenever he came on. So for them to put the hard work in like that and then to allow the, the middle order to free up nicely, uh, they might not get as much credit as they deserve. So... Certainly hope that, that they do get that credit after tonight. That's Aidan Markram, who uh, became the third hundred, third player to score 100 in that innings. Only the fourth time in ODI history that 300s have been scored in the same innings. And again, South Africa have done three uh, of, the, of the four. So um, very, very impressive uh, start from them. Graham Smith uh, was speaking to us a little earlier on South Africa's hopes for the World Cup. Listen, my heart, definitely. Uh, my cricketing brain... Like has some doubts, uh, as I said, you know, I think there's some really outstanding cricketers in that squad, and they're going to have to play out of their socks throughout the tournament. The challenge is that a long tournament in India with all the different grounds and stadiums, you need to have a squad of players that can contribute. Um, you know, you, it's going to be very difficult to rely on a handful of players to, to get you through. 
And there's always an element of, of luck required. But to my heart is yes. I, I think, you know, I was just thinking about the build-up of chatting to someone yesterday. I mean, in South Africa, this World Cup is so low-key at the moment. It's it's under the radar. No one's even talking about it, you know, from a marketing, commercial, you know, cricket perspective. It's actually disappointing that there's not enough uh, hype around the team. But in some ways, maybe... You know, it just allows the guys to go and play and, and do their thing and, and, and hopefully find their feet on, on that side. I think what South African cricket needs there, Army, is that just to talk, those players need to focus on their cricket, you know, have strong, hard cricket conversations, you know, and, and focus on that for the next couple of months. Uh, and uh, maybe there can be one of those uh, lovely storylines that we can uh, make a documentary about in a few weeks' time, you know. That was uh, Graham Smith, a former South African captain, and you can hear the full interview with the, the South African legend uh, on a special following on podcast, which uh, is going to be released later this week. So keep an eye out and an ear out for the following on podcast feed for that. Um, Netherlands against Pakistan. I thought uh, there could be an upset there for a while, Harmi. Netherlands took regular wickets. And what was always a fragile Pakistan middle order, once again failed to convince or impress and it was only thanks to a, a particularly stoic rearguard action that they managed to get up to 280. I still thought the Netherlands might chase them down, but um, Pakistan bowling too strong. Scott Edwards, friend of uh, the Cricket Collective, who was on with us a couple of weeks ago, said that it was a missed opportunity for the Netherlands. And actually, I think he was right. Yeah, I think he was right. I think they had a chance to to go and get that total. It was, it was a bit like the England game with... England not getting enough runs and you're thinking, right, somebody just grab the game, take responsibility and, and and put a big score on the board and let others bat around you. And there was nobody really hung in there. And that was largely down to the fact that Pakistan are very, very skillful with the ball. They're really, really skillful with the ball. And if they get that, if they get that top order, which we all know it can fire in in Imam al Haq and Fakazaman and Babarazm, if them three can fire in this tournament that bone attack could be, you know, the, the sort of game changer that gets them into that top four. So I wouldn't say it was a bad start by Pakistan because they got off to a, to a victory. Um, I think they were fortunate they were playing a side like the Netherlands and not playing one of the, the sort of big four or five sides. But a win's a win. When you looked at it on paper, it looked convincingly. But I don't think it was. I think there would have been some alarm bells in that Pakistan dressing room on more than one occasion and 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 Scott Edwards he's right you know they did miss an opportunity potentially you know have a a, a good start um but fair play to Baz Delera because you know he, he had four wickets in a in a in a half century in a game against one of the big boys that's a good way to start your tournament somebody else who's who spoke very well on on this program on uh, on a couple of occasions so i think all in all it was a good start for Pakistan not a convincing one but they know that the runs that they got in that sort of middle order of, of Rizwan and Shaquille, um, if them they can if the top order can fire and they continue to get going, I've not I still hasn't changed my opinion that Pakistan will be a force in this competition. Hami, um the future of ODI cricket. Now Mark Nicholas, um with his MCC president's hat on, rather than his uh, talk sport cricket commentator's hat on. Uh, is went on the record a couple of days ago to say that ODIs should in the future only be played at World Cups because of the saturated calendar and also the popularity of and the convenience of T20 cricket. It's a massive call, not only because of the effect that would have on teams like the Netherlands and the other associate nations who need ODI cricket in order to progress and survive, but also it is it is astonishing to suggest that... Um, that teams could just turn up every four years and play 50 over cricket. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a bit like asking marathon runners to only train with, with 10 K runs. You know, you can only, you can't run more than 10 Ks, but then you need to turn up and, uh, and run a marathon. Uh, I mean, I understand exactly what, what Mark Nicholas is saying, but I cannot see that that's in any way practical. Yeah, I, I, when I when I seen the comments and the, I seen what Mark had said, I, I was you know fully behind him and I, I fully agree with what he's saying from a big three point of view, but not from the rest of the world. And unfortunately, the cricket is played from the rest of the world. In principle, I've got no issue with what Mark had, Mark says. The problem is the practicality of it is how do you get to them World Cups? 
that's the case, you're going to have to have a 25-2016 World Cup because you're going to have to give everybody a chance to qualify because that is, you can't have no bilateral series that mean nothing. And then how do you work out who, which, which 10 teams get to the World Cup? So they obviously they've got something, they have to have something in plan. Mark wouldn't say what he said if there wasn't something potentially coming. I think it, it literally was a, a little hand grenade thrown out there and say, right, you know, see how, test the water, see what people's reaction is because we have a plan. I hope so from an MCC point of view whether they have a World Cup where I'm not adverse to having a World Cup which lasts a little bit longer, but the top eight teams don't come into it until... So you basically have what you had in Harare at the start of a World Cup, and then the the two or three teams that qualify from that then come into the next part of it. So if you're not going to have bilateral series, you're going to have to have a World Cup with every nation have basically got to go through a qualification point of view to get to the next stage, to get to the main tournament, which is at the end of that tournament. So for a team like, I don't know, if Holland were to go into it, you you might be a 10-week tournament. But these are things that I think need thrashing out. The problem is the landscape of 50-over cricket is a big problem for, for for the world governing body. Because like I think in this tournament, the minute it's finished, I can see maybe 25 of the biggest names possibly leaving 50 over cricket. I think England, some of England's big names, they'll pull out of 50 over cricket to look at their franchise career. So something needs to be done, whether it's as drastic as what Mark's saying, I'm not so sure, but I think a conversation needs to be had because it, it, I, I don't think this is sustainable with where the world is at this minute in time in cricket and the short format cricket. A couple of months ago, Michael Atherton wrote a piece saying that uh, ODI should only be played in World Cup years, which makes a lot more sense. But if they were yeah. not played at all between World Cups, I don't know how teams would pick a 50-over team. I tell you what, because there are so, if they if they pick their 20 T20 team to play 50-over cricket, then some some T20 players are rubbish at 50-over cricket. Anyway, uh, mm. you're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So two county captains have uh, stepped down, Sam Billings, um, is uh, stepping down as captain of Kent after five years in charge to focus on his own game following a different season, a, a difficult season uh, with the bat. And Stephen Mullaney, who joins us now, has uh, stepped down as Nottinghamshire captain after six years in charge and after leading Notts back into Division One of the County Championship in 2022. Stephen, thanks very much indeed for your time. Um, for everybody that hasn't been a captain, I, I think um, they wouldn't perhaps appreciate that six years is a long time in the job. Was it simply that, that time for someone else to have a go? Yes, and no, it's something that I've not, it's not just happened overnight, obviously. I've been thinking about it for a little while. Personally, I've not had the season that I normally have or have had or would want and uh, would expect of myself. So that was one, you know, I've got one year left on my contract, which, and I just want to enjoy myself and, and go and play and give it a crack. And, you know, hopefully I'll be selected in the side. But also, I think we've got a new influx of players coming in with likes of Tong, Pennington, Jack Haynes. You know, I think there's only myself and Fletch who are left of the old guard really now, which you never feel that that conversation's ever coming round, but it does, and very quickly. So, you know, I spoke to my wife at quite length about it, and she said, look, if it's your last year, why don't you just enjoy it? And it might not be, you might do well and then carry on. So we'll see what happens. But ultimately, it's just I just think it's time for someone to, uh, I think I said in the interview, enjoy the ride. So... Yeah. And Stephen, in, in the six years, it's been a immense pride when you look back at your your tenureship as captain, highlights and you know, what have you enjoyed most about the job and and you know, you also have, as Manon said, you have low lights when you do it for six years. You you wake up in the morning and go, Thank God I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> I don't think many people would have, I think Sam Billings actually has done it the same time, uh, length as me. So I don't think many people would have done done it through a pandemic and, and at that time, I think us in in particular, we had we got relegated in 2019. So our big aim was to obviously get promoted in in 2020 straight away. Uh, there was a few things that I wanted try to change, and hopefully I have done. And I think a lot of people say leave it in a better place. With you know, I don't think we got things quite right culturally at certain points, and that was one of the big things that I tried to help change. And I feel now we're in a, a position where you know we have set foundations where people can go and thrive in in a great environment. And hopefully can can put our names up there with the likes of Surrey Essex. You know, Warwickshire have done really well the last few years. But yeah, going that was the top, when you ask about you know highlights or lowlights, definitely was 
you know, we went through 19, getting relegated, and then we got the news of the pandemic, so it was going into five games. And then we had a game there where Derby chased 370. And then the year after, we had very similar against Warwickshire. when oh, We got the news then that it was the conference the year after of the 10 games. And we we obviously got over the line that after, I think, 1,041 days, people keep reminding me that we didn't win for. Yeah, we got over the line against Derby. Uh, and it was, you know, obviously an amazing feeling. And then uh, we went straight and played Essex, who were the best team in the country at the time. And we beat them. More, we had a rain a day lost to rain and we beat them within three days really and it was a convincing I remember Morsey came to me after Peter Morse and said Alistair Cook's just come up to me and he said that's as close to international cricket as I've felt since I retired which is one of the biggest compliments that, that we could have you know so getting back on that getting back on that winning streak was, was magnificent and you know coming third albeit with the, the silly point system where you take half through to the <laughs> Bob Willis trophy thing so I think we won the most games that year so very proud of that. And then obviously getting back to Division 1 and securing that this year. So that that's one of the reasons that I waited till the end of the season. I didn't want to take anything away from securing that status. And I think, you know, my mind was pretty... Once once we left Old Trafford after a, a very wet week a couple of weeks ago, my mind was pretty much made up then. I just wanted to have conversations with Mick Newell, Pete, and we're all on the same page. And, and normally, if you like that, then it's probably the right decision. And the highlights, you know, you're probably one of the you're one of the, the sort of more unique one players that in county cricket that you grew up playing with Jimmy and ended up finishing with Brody. But the highlights of that and having Captain and Stuart Broad, you know, you mentioned Fletch earlier. We had like, I can't remember game which what, what game it was, manners or when Fletch came on. He was we talked about Stuart being in the dressing room and characters like Brody and overseas players. What was it like to captain yeah you know, these characters because? Yeah, you, know, you talk about there. So I asked the cooks in. It, it was like a, an international fixture, but when you've got these players in your group and they come into your dressing room, set the standards that they do. You as captain must be immensely proud to go when they leave. Well, that's why they're playing at that level. Yeah, he's been. You know, I've known him since. You no, know, we played with Ben, your brother, in on the nineteens. Yeah. yeah, so I've known him for a long time, and he he was one of the first ones I messaged back in two thousand and ten when I was joining. So firstly, just to play with him was was an absolute privilege, and you know he's quite rightly been given the, the end named after him. The end he got eight fifteen against Australia from, but in particular we got we've got really close the last couple of years. Uh, our relationship on the field has probably helped our relationship off the field. He actually sent me a video yesterday. He's on some golf course. He plays more golf than anybody now, but yeah, he's he's just been great to have, and he brings that definitely an air of calmness, a wealth of experience. He's He's there for everybody in the dressing room. So the young bowlers, you know, he stayed out. I remember him staying out with one of our young lads, James Hayes, in, in the Nets this year, just uh, telling him to try things. You know, different things and coming from a different perspective. And to say that I've captained one of the best bowlers ever, you know, is a very proud moment and, and he's been brilliant for me. Stephen, can I just ask you about the culture? Uh, often when we talk about or people talk about changing a culture, they what, what, have, what have you done? Have you swapped pints of bitter for beetroot smoothies? No, nothing like that. Um, you know, I thought we had... Um, so 2018, we just stayed up. So my first year as captain, we won... So we won... Uh, my first game was at, as captain was at Lancashire. And we ended up winning... I, I don't even remember. Harry Gurney went and got six for not many on the morning. And we ended up chasing 10, but we got them four down, actually. So it was a bit of a strange one. I remember Ricky Vessels went and got a shower and then had to put his pads on and go out and back. So we got all the line and then we beat Worcester a couple of games later. And we were top of the table after four games. And you're thinking, this is easy. Like We're going to win it. We actually stayed up because Lancashire missed out on a bonus point at Hampshire. And the game against us a couple of weeks before, they they were minus one on over it and we stayed up by one point. So that was how lucky we were to stay up. You know, and then we had, you know, a lot of individual stuff going on in the dressing room, which I'm not really going to go into with players who had other things going on, very well documented in the media with Clark and people like that, which didn't obviously help us and we had to support him. You know, so a lot of people going through different stages. Stuart, Himself actually was coming back from an injury, and Joffre was very much up his backside to try and get in the test side. He had his, you know, individual agendas going on with that was the Ashes summer again, you know. And we we didn't play well enough ultimately. We didn't get things quite right. I don't think sort of being a team, if if you want to put it really simply, um, probably a lot more individual agendas than than the team agendas. So that's one thing that we tried to change. And now, I think we're in it. I just think we're in a place where you could go for a drink or a meal with anybody in the dressing room, and it'd be exactly the same. It's absolutely fine. I'm not saying that, you know, we've got the best culture or it's it's the best place in the world because obviously you can still continue to improve things. 
Um, but individually, I had to have a look at myself as a leader and, and quite rightly so myself and Pete's position was in jeopardy, maybe, or questioned, definitely questioned. So I, I actually went and um, I was very lucky that the club helped me out. Uh, I went and did some leadership stuff with a, a guy who's ex-SAS called Harry Bartlett. I think Steve might have used him, actually. But I think he spoke to yeah. England a little bit. Yeah, uh, he came and spoke to us, and I'm a bit of a badger with leadership stuff, and I quite, you know, I quite like the SAS programs and all that. So I was very lucky that the club sorted me out ten sessions with him, and it was, you know, a phone call when I, there was no time limit on it. So I think I might even still have one left, but um, yeah, he was brilliant, and he's now become a friend, and he's always there on text, um, phone calls if needed, and he was, he was absolutely brilliant for me, in, in he made me realise how much that the the military and sport can be linked. And some of the things that we do now are, I've tried to Im, Im, imply in, in at knots. Yeah, it has definitely come because of conversations with him. And now you say you've got one year left on, on your contract. What are you looking forward to most? You've, you sort of captaincy burdens off your shoulders. You can go into Trent Bridge every morning with focus on Stephen Maloney. What are you looking forward to this year? I'm actually just looking forward to probably just like playing again and having no sort of decisions to. To, I yeah. think obviously I still naturally get asked opinions and uh, whoever is lucky enough to, and privileged enough to get the opportunity to do it again I'm sure that I'd love to be there and help still in sort of a leadership capacity um, I had this conversation obviously with Mick I'd love to still be involved in not too involved that it's people know that it, it, there's a new captain because I think that's really important that the, the, the players now know or will know whoever it is that you know it's their ship now and they might run it a lot differently than me and that's that's a challenge for me to to go into something that I might have done differently to them, which is absolutely fine. There's more ways, more than one way of skinning a cat. But I think looking, for, I'm just looking forward to just, yeah, enjoying it. And I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. I did. I, I loved every second of it and I did. But I think enjoying it with driving home with no phone calls or wondering how you're going to tell the godfather of your kid that he's not playing tomorrow. Because I've had to do that to two people. I think one word would just be relaxing, I think. Stephen Mullaney, uh, one thing I can tell you for sure is that team meetings are going to be a really weird experience for the for the first couple of months next summer. <laughs> Probably. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Have a fantastic uh, winter and uh, and then a very profitable summer. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Thank you. That was Nottinghamshire ex-captain now, Stephen Mullaney. Okay, almost uh, time to wrap. Um, Harmy, the MCC's long investigation into their members' appalling behaviour in the long room during uh, the Lord's Ashes Test match has finally come to an end. They have revoked one membership and given two other members suspended sentences or suspended bans of uh, two and five years, I think, after those scenes. Well, they they made a decision. (laughs) Yeah, they made a decision. I'd love to know what the one person has done that the other two haven't. If If you go off the videos that we've seen... Um, especially the what's got Usman Khawaja's back up. So, yeah, love my decision, fine, good. Obviously, it must have been severe enough for it to be um, that the members, the membership being revoked. It was a nonsense from, from start to finish. It's a good job that international teams don't say, right, from a security point of view, we can't walk through a place like this anymore because logistically to get people from the change rooms onto the field at Lourdes, there's only one way to go, and that's through the long room. So I think there had to be strong because if not, I could have seen teams go, well, you have to clear the you have to clear the long room before we walk out every time you do that. And that trying to have that conversation with members would have been very, very difficult, especially with the the sort of stiff upper lip members that are in the MCC building at some point. So look, yeah, they made the decision, good on them for doing it. But I'd just love to know what that one person did that the other two didn't. And finally, um, the final word goes uh, this week, not to Canada. We congratulate them for qualifying for the 2024 T20 World Cup after beating Bermuda. So uh, we'll see Canada in uh, the T20 World Cup next year. But Jake Fraser McGurk, Harmy, breaks AB de Villiers' record for the fastest list day century with 100 from 29 balls against Tasmania. Are we heading inevitably towards what's the least number of balls that 100 can be scored in mathematically? Isn't it 17? 17, 17 sixes. Yeah, 17 sixes is 90, 102. Is that where we're going? I mean, he's 
He's 12 balls short there. That's yeah. 29 ball this day, 100. Unbelievable. It's, it's scary where this game is going. Somebody will do it eventually. Um, I thought 50 ball 100 was, during my time, I was thinking, there's, no, I think Shahid Afridi did it in some like 38, 38, 39 balls. And you're going, wow, that's just ridiculous. You know, that's just madness. And then AB came along and then, and then Jake Fraser's just come home and smashed it. Absolutely obliterated the, the sort of the record of, of getting 100 off 29. But it's, uh, I mean, the game is heading that way. It was interesting that he did it in a 50-over game rather than a T20 game because you've got a little bit more time in a 50-over game. So you just get your head in zone. You have plenty of time, 50 overs to bat. There you go. Where 2020, oh, you obviously you've got the, obviously the shortest format. But I've not seen any of the, of the innings. But just saying it, 100 off 29 balls. We've just had Stephen Mullaney, who is retired, potentially retiring in one year. I'm quite happily being out as a bowler. This game is just it's going scaringly in favour of the batters because it just seems that the boundaries are getting smaller, the bats are getting bigger. And as me, me dear old friend Matthew Hoggard said, every time them bats get bigger, there should be an inch added onto the stumps um, just to make it a little bit more fairer. But if somebody's going to get a 29 ball 100, I don't even think the stumps are in the equation this time. He it just looks as always sounds as he's just smashed it out of the park for every ball. So good on him. One subject that I've been wanting to talk to you about, and we'll have to wait till next week or, or next month, is about cricket equipment, you know, in relation to golf and golf courses. Golf courses yeah. being tamed, drivers having to be limited because golfers are hitting it 400 yards down the fairway. But there's been no discussion about limiting bats or you can't extend boundaries in, no. in cricket side. You have to knock the stands down. And But but it's interesting, you know, maybe you have a, a soft a softer ball. <laughs> Play with a sponge. Yeah, there, there might be in, the, in this World Cup if the dew keeps coming in the way it's going. In, in golf, you know, the, the, all they do is just narrow fairways where people are hitting, you know, the big, put the big rough in. There are ways to, not eradicate, but ways to sort of risk a reward. No real grades of risk or reward, and yeah, you try and hit it as far as you can, and if that don't work, try and hit it even further. So, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know which way. And and Oggy would always say, "Well, make the stumps bigger." When they're hitting balls out of the park, they're not bothered whether the stumps are sort of six inches tall, three foot tall, or eight foot tall. They're not. They're not bothered about the stumps. They're just trying to whack it out of the park. And how you change that, I'm not so sure. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free Talksport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back at a similar time every Monday throughout the World Cup to discuss all the big talking points. But for now, for this week, this has been the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2. 